Welcome to Interdisciplinary HealWell's Healthcare Podcast, uh, where we say the quiet parts loud and invite people to tell us the things that uh, we don't even know we should know. And then we connect with them and it gets really exciting and we get to lift up each other and create a world that is beautiful and loving and all the things. We have an exciting guest with us today, but... So of course, you know, we're not going to let you roll into this episode without a little pun action. So we're going to do a little word play today. And I wonder if you know what word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it. Short. That pun almost made me cuss, Kat. <laughs> I know, that was, yeah, you're, you're kind to, uh, to allow me to not have my puns vetted in advance. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so we have with us, Rebecca, I feel like I want you to introduce Kamalika because I feel like you guys have been talking for a very long time about making this happen and you, you, will, you will do more justice to our guests than I will. Oh, thank you. Um, so this is gonna gonna sound a little bit like hot potato because I do want Kamalika to introduce herself. But let me say first that um, I met Kamalika a couple of years ago, I guess, or several years ago. Um, it, 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 when I was interested in the organization um, Tip It Forward that she uh, runs and and shepherds and all the things, and um, she's just been one of the most consistently um, bright lights in my life in Louisville and a person who is full of integrity and um, and love and good ideas and fun. So <laughs> I would say, <laughs> yay, fun. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna turn this over to Kamalika and Kamalika, why don't you tell us um, who you are, a little bit about Tibet Forward and what's important to know about you. Sure. <clears throat> well, thank you, Rebecca. That's super kind. Um, I have loved giving to getting to know you too. I feel like all the things that you just said about me, I could easily say about you. So <clears throat> it's really great to be here with both of you. Um, so I guess a little bit about my background. I am a licensed massage therapist. I've been a licensed massage therapist since 2007. And through the twists and turns of my professional journey and the education I accumulated, I've been really fortunate to work with people from every continent of the world, uh, with people from a variety of countries, um, different and different socioeconomic statuses, and that really, really opened my eyes and gained a lot of information in just terms of like real, true exchanges with people and what they faced in their lives and just what their cultural viewpoint was. And so just really <clears throat> thinking about how to customize therapeutic touch in a way that really created a safe environment and really met people where they were, you know, and what was important to them in receiving care. Um, I, have, I have also gained um, certification in structural integration through the anatomy trains method um, and so that's kind of, that is the kind of work I do in my private body work practice, sustainable health choices. And then I am the founder and director of Tip It Forward, which I can go into and probably talk your yeah. ear off about if you would like. <laughs> so, um, it is, Tip It Forward is a nonprofit that essentially creates access to a trauma-informed whole health model of care. We <clears throat> were really trying to increase access to therapeutic touch and body work, um, meditation, and just whole health practices that um, support people to reduce pain, anxiety, and just feel better um, in themselves. So we deliver our work through a mobile wellness clinic, and we go directly to historically neglected neighborhoods and uh, we worked with um, mothers in addiction recovery, uh, youth and families impacted by gun violence, um, just also just under-resourced individuals that, you know, just can't afford to pay out of pocket for massage therapy and therapeutic touch. And the way this kind of started was Tip It Forward grew out of my private practice 
literally because people were coming to me who were on fixed incomes and social security, couldn't pay out of pocket for the work, but they were vocalizing to me. I really feel like I could benefit from touch. I remember one woman saying, I have known since I was a little girl that touch could help me. And um, I welcomed her into my office and she was maybe in her fifties or sixties. And I welcomed her into the office and she came in with numb feet, back pain, couldn't sleep because of the pain, had a lot of anxiety because of the pain. And there were some other like abuse issues also going on at home. I gave her a half an hour treatment and she stood up and said, oh my God, I don't know what you did. I can feel my feet. I don't have any pain in my back. Uh, I also feel peace and I've never felt this before. And so two things I learned, this kept repeating of like this feeling of like, I feel this thing of peace that I've never felt before. And two, what I've learned over time is that people with the greatest need have the greatest gains. And then just recognizing there's a serious gap in the care that could really, that could really benefit people. Um, but it takes disposable income to access massage therapy. So I could talk for days about this, but maybe I'll leave it at that and <laughs> allow you to ask me the next question. Well, I have all these stories about why it's called Tip It Forward, but I would love to hear your story about why it's called that. Yes. Uh, thank you, Cal. So essentially, because of the people I was meeting and seeing the need and seeing the positive impact, I chose to convert my tips into a fund that helped to provide access, hence Tip It Forward. And now we really use kind of the, the language Tip It Forward to impart this idea, health knowledge that we gain, we can continuously share and that we should be sharing. And that part of our model is to train people that we connect with that just really love this work and really have taken it into their lives. And we support their ability to share it with their family and friends and neighbors, just talking about different ways you can incorporate touch, different ways you can, you know, different tools you can use uh, to reduce pain and anxiety. So that's, that's how it all started. Wow. Yeah, you know, I was just talking with another person in the world of massage uh, just before we got on today, and we were talking about sort of the landscape of massage therapists and how we think about ourselves and what what it means in this country to have a career in massage therapy. And I mean, to even use the word career is almost laughable when you really look at like the the data of what it what it is to be a massage therapist who tries to make their living doing that in this country. And, um, and that's, I mean, it's hard to do when you're working with people who have disposable income. And the idea that you would then, you know, it results in a lot of um, well-intended volunteerism by undertrained therapists. I think it, um, it's sort of like, we don't, the idea that we would bring care to I mean I love your your idea your the truth that the people who need it the most see the greatest benefits and that's certainly what we see in our work with palliative care and community-based care um, but this kind of work exists on the fringes you know and and is a volunteer-based thing and the idea like it feels like the gap between the fact of its value and our ability to bring it into like this is healthcare, this is the future of it, it's just bringing up all this stuff about how my liberation is tied up with your liberation. And like, like the, I don't know, say things. <laughs> yeah. I'm like nodding my head. Anyone listening can't see how many nods. I'm just, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, first of all, like I recognize that it is a, it was a great privilege for me to be able to convert my tips in this way. And um, one and um, not everyone can do that in the situation that they find themselves in and trying to be a professional massage therapist because it, it it's a hard road. Um, it's physically grueling and people are we're doing a number of things all at once in the hour that someone might be seeing us. So um, 
yeah, I think that, um, sorry, just so many thoughts are converging in my brain. I'm so excited to talk about all these things. <laughs> um, essentially, yeah, I think that for me, it's really important to build alliances and to really unite across the massage therapy field <clears throat> and really having a conversation about how um, chronic stress and trauma is, is something to really um, get your head around right now as a massage therapist. And that we have a lot of capability to support like the situation that's going on. And one of the things as a result of the pandemic, the racial justice movement, economic instability, um, you know, increased gun violence, increased sexual abuse, increased rape, rape for young women under 20 um, is all skyrocketing. Like even kind of everyday workers, there's a 30% increase in PTSD in just like the last two years. That's actually, it's a really big jump. And so <clears throat> we, we might not think that this is relevant to us because it's like, oh, trauma is extreme cases. Um, and I don't want to do that. So I don't need to think about that or because I'm not working with those people. And that really, it is way more prevalent than most people realize it is in our back door. And, um, and just with an added layer of the environmental and economic conditions that people are facing adds just much much more layering just coming in as like I'm an individual and I think that's what gets complicated in our view is that in healthcare we only think of the individual as like it is just me independent I am not connected to anything else nothing else is impacting me so that's who you're dealing with and that's just not true you someone could be walking into the door and they have their family history they have generational history they have their economic situation, their political situation, their social environment. Do they live in a neighborhood with an educational pipeline that leads to more economic benefits? Like the convergence of race, class, and gender just really exploding all that too. And just really people are coming in as multi-dimensional beings connected to multiple other people. And touch is just trauma informed touch really can bridge a gap in terms of people um, feeling supported and also being able to recover from things they face but also I think we have an interesting connection to traditional mental health therapy where there is distrust in those systems definitely and I think that's a careful line that we always have to walk because we're, we can't counsel people that's beyond our scope of practice. But oftentimes I probably every therapist has encountered this. People tell you and pour their story out to many therapists, you know, and the therapist will quietly listen as they're working on the body. And so having skills that protect therapists is important to be able to continue the work and prevent burnout. And so that's another aspect of the benefit of knowing trauma-informed care is that it's, it's protective for you as a healthcare worker, as well yeah. as it benefits the person that you're working with. Yeah, I feel like there's a real resistance to um, acknowledging the truth that it is traumatic to be a human on the planet Earth right now. Like, yeah. And particularly if you're paying attention, but I, I really think that you don't even have to be paying that close attention to feel traumatized by, I was going to say walking out your front door, but you don't even have to walk out your front door. Like it will come to you. Yeah. Right? And so, and I think that we, I, we saw this happen a lot during COVID that, um, and particularly when, you know, I, we have to figure out a useful way to say it because it's not like COVID's over, because guess what, everybody, not over. Um, I know that's unpopular, but it's still happening, COVID. Um, but in the, when yeah. people started to sort of come out again, and like we saw sort of an uptick in people getting massage and things, and therapists talking about, you know, these people need touch so much. And I'm like, 
you're a person too, <laughs> you know, and like we've all been through the same thing together, but we put this hat on and we say, oh, the person on my table has experienced trauma. If we even say that, which probably we're not saying, but the idea that my experience of trauma and how things live in my own body is important to this engagement and my awareness of that really is going to impact my ability to be useful here. I, I just, these are skills that massage therapists do not prioritize and that our profession doesn't prioritize. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? That we give care to others as a profession and we don't care for ourselves. Yeah. Wild indeed. It yeah. is wild. <laughs> um, yeah, and exactly your point, like that is a part of, a big part of trauma-informed care. I, I like I um, just in looking at the difference between, you know, empathy and compassion, like a compassionate presence. And to me, what I've learned and been taught is that compassion always includes us in the wish to cut the root causes of suffering and and that, you know, it's easy as caregivers to really, I mean, massage therapists are known for this, like how empathetic we are, how understanding we are, like we want to fix the world and help everybody and we can do that through touch. Um, if we could just touch everybody in the world, everything would be okay. <laughs> we touch everybody in the world while wearing a muzzle. That is possible, I think. <laughs> well. uh, anyway, yeah. I just... <clears throat> We, uh, so that's not true. You know, but I think that if, uh, if we're oriented towards um, always kind of what is going to serve that person as well as build awareness and um, where I'm taking care of myself and I'm aware of what's going on with me that that's going to be, that's just going to serve both parties at once. There's going to be much more collaborative, mutual exchange in that regard. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I'm curious, you know, you, you talked about this thing that we talk about a lot and we've written about this, this thing that massage therapists say that, you know, it's not my, it, within my scope to counsel and it absolutely is not. And that somehow, because that's not in our scope, we, we are paralyzed when information is shared because we, because we can't process it with our mouths and like sort of offer advice, which is something we very typically and habitually do, we don't know what to do. And um, I'm curious what the, how it fits into trauma-informed care training, um, how to hold and respond in a compassionate way while recognizing that like maybe I just heard something that in fact was traumatizing to me, but also that I can show up to this in a very human and valuable way while staying well within my scope. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> that's a, I mean, that's a really great question that I think most people would wonder. And I think it's a balance between acknowledgement, like acknowledging what you've heard and just saying, I, I hear you. Um, <clears throat> and offering, offering space. And if someone is activated by something, you know, some kind of touch or area, and it's bringing them into a memory that we have the power and ability to, um, ground and slow down and reorient people to the present moment and reorient them to their body because we've learned how to work with the body. And so I think it's, I think also there's, you know, the, the introduction that's to trauma-informed care that's gonna be on HealWell doesn't include the scope, but eventually people can gain the skills that help um, someone kind of reorient to their body of what do you notice in your body right now? you know, without, and, and by doing kind of reorienting them to like the present moment and supporting their ability to deepen their own awareness about the sensations that they are feeling in their body. Yeah. 
Yeah, I want to I want to kind of bring that around too to one of the questions that came up when we were preparing for this episode. Um, that uh, the the introduction to trauma informed care, by the way, will be available when you're listening to this podcast. So I highly encourage you all to check it out. Um, but also things that have come up, Kamalitha, as we were talking about this class and offering this class, that that it's very clear that this is an introduction to trauma-informed care. And that there's this tendency, um, Cal, I think you might've brought it up, that we see this in oncology massage classes, right? That, um, oh, right, I, my cousin, aunt, mother, sister had cancer, so I know how to do this, you know? And there's this tendency also, maybe, sure, I've, I've had things happen to me, so I know how to do trauma-informed care. Um, do you see that in like practitioners who come through your training and what is your, your kind of approach to people who are arriving thinking that they know it? Um, <clears throat> I think in my direct experience with practitioners through Tip It Forward, most everyone is saying, I don't know anything. Hmm. And so I need to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm scared because I don't want to mess anything up. Hmm. Um, I think that, I think a, mostly what I hear from people is that people think about trauma as like the most extreme experiences that people can have. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, survivors of torture, human trafficking, rape, incest. Um, and those are really serious things and take some serious training, but also what about you spent two years taking care of your dying mother and you only uh, could be with your mom and then you went straight to work and you worked two or three jobs to make yeah. ends meet, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of situation where there's an interacting interaction through like multiple social systems that can create a trauma traumatic response mm -hmm. so just kind of opening up the like the conversation that trauma is <clears throat> it's complex because it's really about the perception of the event not the event itself mm -hmm. and the way that we respond to trauma is going to be really dynamic and you know kind of what our family history is what is our environmental history you know what it what are the tools that someone has learned from their support systems to address the stressors that they face in their life. Yeah. 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 I, I wanna go back and, and if we can unpack, um, so I jokingly, not jokingly said that if we touch people with muzzles, if we ourselves as practitioners wearing muzzles, it would all go great. And <laughs> I wish you all could have seen the, the look of subdued horror on Kamalisa's face, like, did yeah. this person just say that? Um, and so, um, yeah, so what what I'm really interested in, in unpacking is that, you know, the, the joke that I was making is that I, I feel like, you know, I just wrote an article about harm reduction and that um, the harm that massage therapists do has nothing to do with their hands. And that, you know, the harm that, and again, I feel like harm is also a misunderstood word like trauma, that like you can harm a person by sort of shutting down their autonomy. You can harm a person by, you know, there are these subtle ways that you can undermine the therapeutic relationship and undermine our ability to create trust. And I feel like um, the ways that we use words are probably important to trauma-informed care and the ways that it's not actually about just never saying anything. Um, just like holding space doesn't mean just sitting still, right? There's a lot more to it. <laughs> so, um, how, you know, I know that um, I suspect, I don't know anything about trauma-informed care. I suspect that it has a lot to do with self-regulation and that I feel like the harm that we do by the things we say as massage therapists comes largely from our lack of awareness about our own triggers and our own sort of like the ways we respond to things we'd rather not be feeling. And so how, how does that figure into the trauma-informed care picture in terms of like so much of trauma-informed care, I'm assuming, is actually inside the practitioner. So uh, how does that work? You, everything you say, you like so many things to respond to. Um, I love it. Um, I, and I loved your joke because it, <laughs> actually it is true. <laughs> Excuse me. 
um, <clears throat> in terms of, yeah, we can do great harm with our voice and trauma-informed care is so much of it has to do with listening, asking questions that center on the person's perspective and what they already know about themselves and what improves their situation or what their priorities are. Um, and yeah, um, in terms of regulation, uh, a lot of it has to do with how to, how to be aware of yourself. The, the way that um, you utilize power, the way that you understand control. These are really deep rooted things, power and control, but they're really tied to principles that we'll cover in the class, mutuality and humility of like, how do we actually relinquish control that still creates a structure where there's a dynamic where um, the person can be honored with the priority they seek and you can apply your skills and strengths in a way that kind of meets that um, desire from that person and, and what they're coming and seeking help for. Um, and, you know, 75% of the holistic community are white women. That's just a reality right now. That's changing. It's, there's definitely changes happening, but, you know, <clears throat> because there is, there is privilege around how, um, how we are as a therapist, if we are white practitioners, the way in which we've learned how to interact with power and control can be so subconscious. And so trauma-informed care is helping and inviting and encouraging people to surface those things up into greater awareness, not in a way to shut us down or to feel ashamed or to feel guilty, like, oh, it sucks that I'm a white person but in a way that really just is aware of that power and how we need to um, center, center care in a particular way, the more we're aware of those dynamics, the easier it is going to be to, to create a space that is mutual. Yeah. What do you do to, to work through that? Uh, because I, I feel like in the, the equity work that we do with folks and particularly with white people when we work on sort of dismantling the whiteness that we don't even know exists. Like, I think when you say like, how do we use power? Like if you were to ask, if you were to just like be Dave Letterman and go out on the street and say, how do you use power? People would like, look at you like, what are you talking about? And those are the, the people who don't know what you're talking about are the ones using power. So how do you um, bring people to that without inspiring the shame spiral and sort of like saying like, this is just true about culture, about the way our brains work. Like this isn't a personal failing of yours. Stay in the work. Like it's okay. We're not yeah. here to, to make you a bad person. Right, right, right. Um, <clears throat> I think it's about inviting someone into their own experience of what did it feel like when you, um, when you felt like you didn't have power, when you felt like you didn't have options, you didn't have a choice. What happens when you feel out of control? Like what, what's the physical experience of that? What are the sensations that happen in, in your body and what is happening in your mind? And I think it's more of an invitation into <clears throat> body-centered mindfulness. And so, <clears throat> because it's so deeply ingrained in us. So that's one way to kind of orient, okay, this doesn't feel, it didn't feel good when I felt out of control. It didn't feel good when I felt like my decision-making power was taken out of my hands. <clears throat> I had this response. And so, um, so then it's then taking you know, we can't, it's not like we can apply like, oh, if I just have my own personal experience, that means like, I know what everyone else is going through, you know? So it, that's not that, that's not this. Um, it's just um, connecting, making it real, making it real in your own life, because this stuff gets really heady. It yeah. gets thick emotionally. There's many, many years of distrust that has been built up. And so 
starting with our own direct experience is a really, it's an easy starting point because I can't leave my body. I'm here. I know what I've experienced in my own life. Yeah. And so that can give us a tiny window into, okay, I kind of know what this feels like in my life. Oh, I wonder what's happening for other people and just leading, um, leading down a road that could become more expansive. Is that clear? I think I, I've kind of talked in some circles here. So well, I think it, I think it is actually quite circular. I mean, I think when, when you talk about um, you know, I'm thinking about what I've learned through internal family systems therapy and kind of how all your little parts get triggered and, and the, it, it feels circular in your experience. And you, even though, you know, you can't leave your body, we are skilled at trying to, right. And I, I feel like a lot of us come to, I feel like this is one of the biggest struggles we have when we're trying to bring students into their bodies is they're like, Hey, I don't like what's there, which is why I don't go there. <laughs> or like, what do you mean feel what's happening in my body? Like, I don't, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think it's easy to get circular because you're like, if you get this, then we can go this place. But if you don't get this piece, we have to kind of stay here until this sort of makes sense because it is a layered sort of thing. And you, you are kind of sinking in and yeah, it's not effective if you try to stay in the things that are most manageable, I guess. And it's sort of building your capacity for discomfort. Yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> I mean, I, I feel like we, I encounter the same thing um, working with social work students too, of what do you mean feel my breath? What are you talking about? That sounds <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so then just breaking, breaking, it down in terms of where where can the breath go physically let's just literally put our hands there what happens what's happening in your experience you know just as an example or um most of us live in our heads and we have no connection to our feet so just stand on the ground like what do you notice about the contact that your feet are making on the ground okay let's do this um technique with a a ball like now, how has it changed? And do you notice, like, are there any pressure changes and how you feel throughout your whole body? And just like inch by inch, slowly, someone's like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, there's like a big brain response of like, I've never felt that before. So it feels really big. And it's the same way in terms of trauma-centered care in understanding power and like understanding control it's the exact same thing like slowly slowly exercises that kind of help build a framework and kind of a greater view of how like we utilize power just can really hurt people and has hurt people yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, I mean, we, I feel so lucky that I get to work with the people that I work with because we're, we're sort of, I feel like down the road in some ways that, you know, you know what each other knows and you sort of like, and sometimes when we're talking about these sorts of concepts and how to support people who are, not only are they not on the road, like they're still in the house putting their shoes on, like that, like it, it is, you have to be careful how fast you go because you can really lose people. And this is a thing that all humans I think are capable of, but if you go too quickly, it can feel scary enough that in fact, you can traumatize a person by trying to invite them into this process um, and how to regulate that particularly in a, in a room full of multiple people who are in different places and, and kind of, it feels sometimes so slow as we start to introduce these concepts, but it sort of has to be in some ways because it really, it's gonna shatter your reality when you start to look at, you're like, oh gosh, like nothing I believed is true. I don't, you know, like, <laughs> oh gosh, what do I do now? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think in, in terms of my own journey and in terms of looking at the privilege I have, um, the power I have, um, I think something that happens in white culture is the 
is just the, the always needing to kind of attain this perfection level and like always kind of, I can't say the wrong thing. I need to say the right thing. And the way that we get isolated from each other. Um, and I, I could go into a soapbox about that, but I'm going to just leave that down right now. But, um, <clears throat> I think one thing is that <clears throat> it's so important to establish love. I mean, I know that sounds so touchy feely, it's but it's so true. <laughs> it's, it's the most important thing. Yeah. 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 And that it's, it's okay. If we're totally imperfect, we, I, I just think many of us haven't really been loved unconditionally and so it never really feels safe to open up these like really deeper things that we think and feel because, you know, we're social creatures and we want to be deeply accepted. And so if we say something that's out of the herd, you know, of the group, then we could be isolated further and isolation kills. I mean, it yes. does. It's so it's so detrimental to our mental health. And so I think the more we build alliance and safety, I mean, just circling back to massage therapists and really expanding our capacity as a profession to be more aware of these things, then there has to be, there just has to be love and care and you know, that people feel safe of like, oh, this person could be okay to talk to. Oh, this person is safe to talk to. And I, and just, that is a component of trauma-centered care is just like kind of taking off these like guards that we have, you know, like even now that's literally happening, happening to me as I talk to you all because of just you know, being in, being in the space with you all, even this virtual land of just, we are three people having this conversation and we, it's, you know, I can feel that like, you know, we're talking through some things. So yeah. Anyway, I, uh, I think we really have to give each other grace. Yeah. 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 Well, and I feel, you know, as you're talking, like you were saying before, like, as I was talking, all these things are coming up and I, I feel like it's one of these things where most people can get behind the philosophical truth of like, we have to give each other grace and it's so hard to do. And like that, to really do that, like when you talk about creating safety and we've talked gazillions of times, probably on the show about small S and capital S safety. And that part of our problem is that we are so busy trying to create small S safety, which is about my right to comfort and preserving everyone just not having to feel too much. Um, and that capital S safety lies in this, this love, this grace, this like, it's not, it's not really optional for us to be okay with being imperfect. Imperfection is the truth. Yeah. We are we are sad and tired because we're trying to pretend that something else is true and it just isn't. And so when we're in this place where we want to create, facilitate, foster a sense of safety with another person, my own limitations and what I understand safety to be make it hard for me to, to do that in this way that is based in love and grace. And that I feel like part of what we are here to learn together is that safety isn't about comfort. And I think that's really hard for people to understand. Yeah, that is a really hard one to understand. Yeah. Um, because we want to reject the things that make us uncomfortable. And we are always the seeking the, the things that we feel like bring us happiness. And we never want to be uncomfortable. And we don't see the the power and being uncomfortable and like what it can open. So that I think working with discomfort in that way and really uh, just in terms of this capital S of safety that you're talking about, I think it it's center, like man, Tibetan Buddhists have really a lot of wisdom when it comes to this 
So Definitely. I will say in terms of uh, rejection and attachment, um, but I will, uh, in terms of what I've learned in my own experience, like really, really self-love in terms of it, it's, it's, uh, it makes it a lot easier to feel discomfort. Um, and it increases and that, I mean, that's just also a big buzzword of self-love, but what I've learned personally in terms of the pandemic and trying to manage, uh, a startup nonprofit in a global pandemic during a huge, you know, racial justice uprising is that I say, Kamalitha, I love you. It's cool. It's okay. You can't control everything. Or it's, anything. Or anything. <laughs> and so just be right here. Are things blowing up right now in this room? No. Okay. Take a breath. Yeah. <laughs> but also like, it's okay if you don't know everything. You know these some things, you know, and you don't know everything. And so, yeah, just a lot of, you know, uh, I feel like I've learned a lot about humility over the last few years. And that's like another major principle of trauma-centered care and how we interact with, with power. Um, because it trauma, like just what you just said kind of lit up a light bulb um, a few minutes ago is that trauma-centered care is, is really focused on how to create a space in which like the strengths that someone already brings to the table, the knowledge that someone already brings to the table can self-arise, that you're not forcing something like, oh, okay, if I, if I'm doing trauma-centered care, like I need to like pull out your strengths and knowledge. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, because, because that means I'm doing my job and like I totally. really need to do a good job right now, right? So um, part of then allowing something to self-arise in someone else means, okay, I am not the center. I need to back up, you know, and ask specific questions, like just open questions that help someone just feel comfortable sharing like, yeah, this is what I know. This is what I think. Yep. And then meeting that person. Like it's the same thing with deep tissue, right? Like I've heard lots of, lots of people complain to me like, oh man, that therapist like really beat me up. Like I have bruises, right? Like, yeah. Like maybe they just wanted to go to a deeper level because they were trained. You have to get the psoas, release right. the psoas, yeah. release the psoas. magically yes. resolve. Uh-huh. <laughs> And ra rather than kind of working with what are the sensations on the first level? Yes. What is that person saying to me? Mm -hmm. Do they, it, does it sound like they can receive more touch and what are you feeling under your hands? Does it feel like there's physical resistance, even if it doesn't match up to what that person is saying verbally? Right. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, um, I need to slow down. Yeah. Right. So it's like, this constant dance of being with someone in a completely different way than what I think we're taught in school. You know, we're taught to like, okay, I'm the therapist. I know all this stuff, like get on the table, disrobe, here's the intake, here's the consent. I have to yep. see someone in 50, someone else in 50 minutes. Uh -huh. Like I'm only getting paid a certain hourly rate. So like, I'm going to do what I was taught in school. So I'm going to work on your back, work on your head, work on your neck, like maybe rub some lotion on your feet. Right. You know? Because of the pressure that people are under to make a good living. Yeah. Right. And also what they've learned in school. And so it's, it is, it is a dynamic where um, if people can slow down themselves as a therapist and be present just what we said in just a few moments ago like just what does my breath feel like how do I feel in my body am I connected to my feet like just am I connected in this room or am I thinking about the five text messages that I just received and how mad I am that someone that I booked isn't going to show up to their 
the next appointment I have and I have this gap in my schedule. Yeah. These are all like really valid, valid things to be concerned about. Yes. As a person, you know, because we all need to pay our bills. Mm-hmm. But I think the more that we can learn to kind of set those things down, this person mm-hmm. is in front of me. They are my focus. They are going to feel way more comfortable And I think as a therapist, we show up in a different way. And then kind of, (laughs) I I probably shouldn't use this word magic, but like, you know, these things, these things that we don't expect can occur. There's opportunities or spaces that open that we could never anticipate because healing, healing work is just so dynamic. Yeah. Well, and it does, it feels like magic because like, as you were talking, I was thinking about how culture plays into all of this and that we are taught in a culture to provide results. You're going to pay me X number of dollars to not have pain or, you know, whatever you've come for in this next 50 minutes, I'm going to make this thing different. Right. And the consumer comes expecting that that will happen. And we are so, we make ourselves so important that like, I need to do a thing for a thing to happen. And when you start to see, I feel like it's like manual lymphatic drainage, like, wow, I don't feel like I did a lot, but whoa, like this is like magic. And it's the same. I feel like if you're open to the unfolding and you're open to the possibility that you're not going to cause a thing to happen but rather staying out of the way is part of the therapeutic benefit of you being there (laughs) that's just real hard to believe yeah 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 I've I've found that in my own work like over the course of my own profession I I use less and less and less pressure yeah and the less pressure like it seems counterintuitive but the less pressure I use the greater changes take place, mm-hmm. uh, or just learning to modulate pressure. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very similar thing in terms of like, oh, wow, that worked. And I think that's the same journey that we have to get on with uh, trauma-centered care. Yeah. It, it is a complete reorientation around how we operate in terms of getting results. And what, and like our own view that we impose, you know, uh, these are the results I want you to have. You're coming in here. I want to totally fix your back pain. So you, you know, yep. you can tell all your friends that, the, you know, all, you know, everything's resolved. And I think it's just, it's just not like that. It's the, the more someone is engaged with themselves in their own care, the more that you're really inviting them to engage with their own power and their yeah. own capacity for healing. And Definitely. you can't impose, it's like just impossible to impose their healing mechanism falsely onto yes. them. Yes, <laughs> Definitely. Especially when they may not have conscious access to it. I mean, I feel like this is the part of our role that we don't understand is that just because people are possessed of great wisdom about themselves doesn't mean they actually have access to that wisdom. And, you know, part of our job is to invite them to see that that is available to them by, like you said, just asking some open-ended questions by sort of not leaping in with our advice or our, our thumbs or whatever it might be that it's like, Oh, hmm. you know, we have a, a class on our portal right now called um, pursuing sensitive disclosures and it's taught by a social worker and she's talking about how inspiring change is about opening the door to ambivalence and that you know when you look at the cycles of change or the the stages of change i think she talks about there's like this pre-contemplation stage where the person doesn't see a problem you can't do anything as an outsider to inspire change in this time It's like this next stage of ambivalence that you can participate in, like just inviting them to consider that it could be different. And they have to care that it could be different for anything to really happen. But that won't happen by you being like, you shouldn't smoke. 
Like that's going to keep them in pre-contemplation even longer. (laughs) So yeah, it's subtle, but powerful or and powerful. Yeah. And, and also that just connects in with like the greater messages that we hear from healthcare and just fitness in general, like you can't have a big body. And if you do, that means you're lazy. Yep. Now it's just, just different things. Um, the, the messages we get. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of history there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you all are wonderful people. (laughs) i'm so delighted to be here with you all and have this conversation i'm so excited that that people will get to benefit from um from your wisdom and from your course and just start to see that like this is this is just part of being human like what you're going to share with us in this course is just like how to how to find greater peace in yourself and how to just notice that you have resources that are untapped here that here in your heart that you can bring um and that really like that's where the that's where the juice is where the meat Mm -hmm. is so Mm -hmm. yeah thank you so much yeah um Rebecca I don't think we really got to any of the pre-questions that we thought we might ask Kamalitha but I don't that's all right I don't really care um I think we we still had a a pithy conversation that our listeners will be excited about and uh and absolutely inspire people to come and take this course and um be kinder gentler people to themselves and others yeah yeah we're going to link to the to the course in the show notes so um please do check it out um this is a a beautiful i have the privilege of um taking it watching it before everybody else as I wrote it in for you and it's just really um I just I just watched it last night and I'm still thinking about it and Mm. things that I've learned even though I've I've um hung around Kamalitha and the practitioner training and all the things that I'm still learning um beautiful stuff yeah how'd you enjoy that um super super happy to connect with you well and really I love your all's mission too and it's it's important and uh, um, the more alliances we have, the more we can really make greater transformations that really bring more and more benefit to people through the, through the work we do. So yeah, pleasure Absolutely. to be with you all. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. Well, everyone check the show notes for all the relevant links. Thank you for listening to Interdisciplinary. Um, We'll be at you next week with more season seven and uh, more puns, bigger puns, better puns, less better puns. They're all welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. uh, And you can... Send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.